Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Welcome back to Vice and Easy. I wanted to thank you once again for liking, for subscribing, for leaving me five-star reviews, for letting me know how you like the episodes. It really does mean a lot to me. And especially with this one, this is a very poignant episode. This is actually a two-parter. This week, we are going to be breaking down the second part of Down for the Count, Season 3, Episode 13. Now, I'm not going to give you a recap because instead you have this much more baritone, sexy announcer man to give you the following. Last week on Miami Vice. My only gripe is that they don't also follow that up with this week on Miami Vice because I would totally take that and put that into my intro because that's how I try to increase my SEO is that all of my descriptors in my notes say this week on Miami Vice, if you haven't noticed, just to, you know, get the the clicks going. So I was like, oh, I would love that. But sadly, no, it didn't happen for the pilot. It didn't happen for Calderon's return. And it's not happening again. I don't even happen with the prodigal son. So I'm a little... Disappointed. I guess I could just do it myself. This week on Miami Vice. Well, this week on Miami Vice, we have Vengeance. We have Las Vegas mafiosos. We have more. Drugs or prostitution or gambling or murder. But we also have some sad parts to go through. We actually open up the episode after the cold open, which is just the recap of the previous episode. We are at Zito's funeral. And the exterior is a church in Westwood, which I thought was kind of funny. I thought they would make that a Miami church. Like, it's kind of evident. It's kind of well-known, and it's on, like, a major traffic route as you try to cut through Sunset um, down on, like, Leconte by UCLA. So I thought that was interesting. I was like, oh, I definitely recognize that right off the bat, that that's not Miami. But let's get serious here. This is actually quite sad. We see lots of people, including Vice at the funeral, we see Castillo consoling an older woman. And we have a really sad song by Corey Hart, fellow Canadian, playing in the background. And at this time, Zwitek is going up to give the eulogy to not only his partner, but his best friend. Unfortunately, he's really distraught in this scene, obviously, knowing that his best friend, his partner, has been murdered for the bad guy who's done his stall in the street. So he isn't really able to get much out at the eulogy. It's cut short, and that song playing in the background is Blind Faith by Corey Hart. Um, And when we go back to the precinct, everyone is still sitting in silence. Castillo proves... (sighs) I know that we tend to really commend Castillo for his stoicism, but this will just trigger any one of you that has ever worked a minimum wage job, which is like the way that he delivers this message. I know you all heard inside, but do your grieving in private. The street has no sympathy. Yeah, pretty cool. Like, I understand, but it's just, like, the bedside manner of this message. Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot more to unpack in this scene when Castillo mentions that Zito's prints were on the syringe. And this obviously angers everybody, but especially Zwitek. Then it turns out that Internal Affairs is going to dig into this a little bit more. And... Even though the entire Vice Squad, they're pleading with Castillo that they know that Zito did not overdose. He did not take his own life. He did not start dabbling into intravenous drugs all of a sudden. However, with the evidence at hand, there's not really anything that Castillo can do. And that they want to take Guzman all the way down or not take him at all, which I understand for someone of this level of power. Like I mentioned before, you want the larger charges to stick, so therefore you kind of have to keep waiting and waiting and waiting to get the evidence you need to secure a conviction, and unfortunately, two people have already passed. 
in the past episode, so maybe like the past like three, four days in real time because of this guy. Now, Zwitek also taking out on Crockett. And again, I completely understand. Really good call on Guzman. Hope you're satisfied. And I understand that Crockett tends to play his cards a little closer to the chest, but this is also somebody who we know has lost two partners. We just saw an episode a couple weeks ago, we just broke it down, where his partner was shot and killed in front of his wife and children. Jimmy Smith's was blown up in the pilot after having a fight with his pregnant wife and not being able to talk to her beforehand. So I expected Crockett to be a little bit more sympathetic or show a little bit more compassion or emotion. And I get that he does feel this guilt, but damn, oh, it's a tough day for everybody. And the one thing I will note, to be superficial, Everybody looks great in jewel tones here. We have Trudy in green, Gina in purple, Crockett in a blue. More, not like a sky blue, but kind of like a turquoise. Then later we'll see see more teal show up in the episode, and you'll see what I mean. I really enjoy whoever designed the color palettes this week. Now, once the men of OCB leave the room, Gina and Trudy are talking, trying to make themselves, you know feel a little bit better and Trudy shares that she basically called an old flame and went home with him to try to make herself feel better forget about it and when Gina asked Trudy if it worked Trudy just kind of like shrugged it off and we see Gina just snap a pencil in anger knowing that Zito's death is set up to look like a suicide or look like an accidental overdose and thereby absolving Guzman of any guilt or responsibility, so it's just really frustrating all around. At Internal Affairs, when Zwitek is talking with the investigators or the officers of Internal Affairs, they mention that Zito's brother died by overdose, and Zwitek is 150% justifiably defensive. We had a brother OD. What's that got to do with the price of eggs? You think we like doing this? You got any more questions? You know, he was an alcoholic. He hadn't had a drink in five years. He never missed a meeting. I see. To your personal knowledge, did your partner ever use controlled substances of any kind? Go to hell. I did not go back and look at previous episodes because I'm pretty sure I remember they all went out to the bar in Heart of Darkness. And again, Zito could have been having a soda. I want to say he was drinking a beer. Maybe he was drinking O'Doul's or um, what's the other NA, like the Heineken Drive or the Bitburger Drive. But I don't think they've ever touched on that in the entire series. Am I going nuts like I think I would have remembered and I don't remember being that being discussed at all and if so I also understand why Zwitek is even doubling down on not wanting to cooperate with internal affairs because I understand how insulting that is and I would have really thought that being a recovering alcoholic and being in this world would have been such an amazing character development, a character journey. And I wish they had done that with Zito. And I understand, like, that's also a big part of why John Deal left is just that they weren't really utilizing his character. But it's like, damn, way to bury the lead. That would have been so interesting. Tubbs is alluding to not drinking, but not because he has a problem, because similar to in real life, actually, his stepfather was a boxer. So that is actually kind of like a fun tie-in. So they really dropped the ball on this one, because I would have been fascinated. I understand that the discourse around 
being a recovering alcoholic or learning how to live sober was very different in 1986 than it is today. But like I would have been fascinated. And as someone who has gone sober, it would have been really cool just to have more representation on TV. I think that would have been really cool. So missed opportunity there. I, for one, would have thought that was really interesting. And watching him, you know, take fake shots or something while he's going undercover, that would have been so cool. You know, I now I guess that could be like our spinoff. Maybe we could come create that. I think that'd be kind of cool. 40 years later with a different person playing Zito, I think. I think John is hopefully enjoying his retirement. It's so funny. So there is that clip of Don Johnson in Django Unchained. And I've never actually seen the movie, but he's obviously not using language that I will ever say. And I was like, oh, this is not the way I wanted Don Johnson to be like trending on TikTok because I can't use it for. I can't use it for my own personal videos. Wow. Okay. What a first world problem. Let's get back to this. Speaking of Zito, we are going to find out a little bit more about him. And also, I really enjoy what Crockett says in this next clip. This is very true. As Tubbs and Crockett are going through his stuff at his apartment, they realize that they don't know that much about him. And who cannot relate to this? Amazing see someone every day for seven years turns out you know nothing about them right and so many co-workers especially if they're a little bit quiet or keep themselves you realize you don't know anything about them and you spend pretty much the majority of your waking life with these people well so after they leave the apartment they feed the fish the landlady is also pretty interestingly styled with the wig and like the pastel leopard print outfit definitely go check that out on the gallery now they also are alert to the fact that Zito has certified mail that he has not picked up Crock and Tubbs go to the post office the same post office that was used not too many episodes ago oh what was it it was it's gonna come to me oh sorry Harkening back to Zito being a recovering alcoholic, he is holding a coupe glass or a martini glass in the end of Heart of Darkness. So this was definitely not an original plot line. It's not like now where we have non-alcoholic spirits that you could actually make cocktails that you could have out of coupe glass, like especially that kind of a divey bar where the bartender was smoking behind the bar. They don't really. I'm, I wouldn't really trust them with fresh juices. <laughs> So, that's a little bit of recon for you. Oh, 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 the episode is El Viejo. Thank you. It's the same post office that is all lit up at night that Steve Buscemi pulls up and meets with Crockett and makes a deal. Okay, thank you. I was like, oh. My tagline says the podcast for everything you need to know about Miami Vice so I gotta make sure that I can keep these all at the top of my head now let's get back to this episode they go to the post office they pick up the mail they get the letter that Moon sent Zito and the black book however Gator Aficionado Crockett is opening up and looking at this book and he's not a fan no name no return address Made out of gator. However, I can't imagine any self-respecting gator would be caught dead in this. <laughs> Very true. Elvis would never be caught being in a book as tacky as that. So as they're flipping through, everything's in code, like was already revealed in the last episode. But Crock and Tubbs want to see if Gene and Trudy can track down the serial number, since it's quite a fancy book that stores would have definitely been keeping track of. So, we are going to go visit Guzman. He is getting a massage by the pool. <laughs> and he's really peeved with his own lawyer. He really wanted Sykes. He really wanted Sykes. And it is his lawyer's lucky day. What am I paying you for? Sykes is here. He wants to see you. You must have been born lucky, Sardoni. How did you get him to come? I didn't. 
he also flips out at his massage therapist. <laughs> I couldn't get a good picture because obviously she's like doing this with her hands. I'm saying that like you can see me like the chop, chop, chop motion. And he just like freaks out at her, wraps himself in a robe with the sunglasses. And he just looks amazing. It is. <laughs> it is such a look. Now, Sykes says that he's ready to sign because Guzman can do the best for him, win or lose. And this is quite interesting. We just saw Sykes at Zito's funeral. I'm sure Sykes is aware that Moon, who trained him, and Zito, who trained him, end up dead. So a little scary to be getting close to the enemy. So not really sure what's going on here as of yet. Now we are going to Las Vegas and I tried to include a lot of photos of Las Vegas with like the old neon signs. So the Binion's horseshoe sign that I posted on the gallery, which you can see in the descriptor notes of every single episode. I actually saw that at the neon graveyard in Las Vegas, which was a super cool nighttime tour where you walk around this lot and you get to see all the old neon signs that have been taken down and because that's exactly kind of what you love about Vegas so I thought that was really cool highly recommend I believe it's called the neon graveyard night tour highly 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 recommend so this was kind of like a little blast from the past same with the golden nugget like now the golden nugget isn't as accessible as it was back then. I want to say that Mark Cuban bought it, repurposed it. I think they have a great white shark that you could see. I've been there to gamble. They have pretty decent cheap blackjack tables, but they have triple zero roulette. So never do triple zero roulette. If I lived in Europe, I would only be doing single zero roulette. Even double zero roulette, I don't really like. It just... Too much, too much going on. Those odds are not in my favorite, especially triple zero. You do not need that kind of drama in your life. Stick with double zero. It's the lowest you can go in Las Vegas. I want to say I was trying to find a one, a single zero roulette table. I don't remember ever seeing one. Or I want to say like the buy-in was like $100. I was like, oh, okay. Because <laughs> I do outside and inside. I always do my numbers. And if you want to play inside, your inside bet has to match your outside bet, which means that... That'd be a 200 bet every time. Yes, that would be really cool if I hit one of my numbers. <laughs> but that's a risk that my bank account in this economy is not willing to take. Maybe if this podcast gets bought by some big media company, then we'll be discussing single zero roulette. But let's go back. Really enjoying the Vegas throwback with this. And then we're meeting in the office of a very stereotypical Las Vegas mafioso. He is also the exact same actor who was in One-Eyed Jack. So that was fun. We get a little, like, Michael Mann casting. And he has a really sweet old-school slot machine behind him in his office, which I really enjoyed, and it's very old-school. Now... Someone is tapping his phones. I'm assuming it's one of the alphabets. Let's say FBI. FBI is inside national. CIA is foreign. So please also go look at the gallery. I'm not trying. I don't make any money off this, but you have to see the technology they're using to tap the skulls. <laughs> so this guy is not a fan of Guzman. He has a huge bone to pick with Guzman. He's on his way to Miami. And he also mentions Burnett and Cooper, since he knows that these are guys that want to go into business with Guzman. When whoever's listening in on the call looks up Sonny Cooper, sorry, Sonny Burnett, they find out he's really Sonny Crockett and he's really Vice. That this guy, this scary guy from Las Vegas, has come to Miami and he's not happy. I'm going to go down there and teach this immigrant about turf. I'm going to explain to him that South Florida's mine. Got the gambling, got the hookers, got whatever else I can think of. I'm gonna explain to him real slow. These guys just off the boat don't always give ish too good, you know? Uh huh. Then I'm gonna blow his brains all over the wall. Nice. So many stereotypes in one character. Now we're going back to the precinct at OCB. Again, teal is the color of this episode. I forgot to mention during the pool scene with Guzman, Bobby Sykes looks amazing with this teal undershirt on or this teal silk shirt I should say then we have Gina's dress we have her purse we have 
just everybody looking amazing, but teal is definitely the color of this episode. Now, Zwitek is looking really pensive. You can tell he has a lot in his mind. Crockett wasn't able to get more information. Basically, there's like two people that it's either Guzman or some other guy who bought the book. So doesn't really narrow it down too much, but he knows someone who can crack the code. This is going to be one of his old war buddies from back in Vietnam. He belongs again to some agency. Gina kind of mentions like, oh, FBI, CAA, blah, blah, blah. So he's, he's doing work. Let's just keep it that way. And people are definitely going to be keeping eyes on him. But he's actually a very funny cameo that we'll get to in just a second. Unfortunately, Castillo has bad news. Castillo comes in to say that Internal Affairs has announced that Zito's death goes down as an overdose. Crockett is pissed. Larry Zito was no damn junkie, and you know it. He was afraid of needles, Lieutenant. He almost fainted last year when we gave blood. They're dumping trash on a good cop's grave. You know the drill. The book's closed on Zito unless we can come up with new evidence. And Guzman's in a world of hurt. Come up with new evidence. Oh man, that conversation is cut short because Whitech lets Crockett knows that Sardoni, again, Sardoni is Guzman's lawyer. The bad guy in Las Vegas is Gilani. Galani, I cannot pronounce it to save my life. It'll come up in a clip and then it'll help me pronounce it again. I tried spelling it out. I looked it up and I was like, oh, I just, it's not going to click with me. But Sardoni is giving Burnett a call. And this is when I'm like, oh, Crockett is only of his generation. You can tell there's just like that kind of like old country sensibility to him because listen to this. You can set your watch by me, pal. Sorry. <laughs> That's just like such an old typey phrase. And unfortunately, comedic break aside, the shot of Zwitek just staring ahead through the blinds at the office at OCB is just super heartbreaking. Not only is his best friend, his partner's dead, there doesn't seem to be a lot of good news that justice could be brought and that his name could be cleared. And he's not remembered the way that Zito would have wanted to be remembered. And that is really hurtful. But let's get back into it. Bernadette Cooper, go see Guzman, as Crockett noted, cop killer. And Guzman tells him big news that Sykes signed with him. Now, Burnett and Cooper are a little surprised. Remember, this seems a little bit weird. So Guzman laughs that it must have been his charm when Burnett wonders if it would have been hookers, blow, any of that sort of thing. Burnett says that he'll tell the executives that Guzman is ready for prime time and they leave in the car. Tubbs has a very good point. Guzman don't care about prayers. You're not listening, man. Yeah, I am. I just don't give a damn. We're gonna stay on this sucker until we nail Guzman and clear Zito's name. Could crash and burn. Don't give a damn about that either. I don't want to say Crockett's being reckless, but Tubbs seems to be a little bit more logical. It's like, we don't have a satellite network. How much longer can we keep this ruse up before he's going to start to see the cracks? And they don't want their cover to be blown. They want to be able to get Guzman on big, big, big charges that they're likely to convict. And so I understand where Tubbs is coming from. And I'm siding with Tubbs on this one because the, the deeper they get on this one, the harder it's going to be to dig yourselves out. Now, let's have a little bit of a change of pace. Remember the code breaker that Crockett knew from way back in the day? Well, Gina and Trude are going to go pay him a visit. It's kind of the eccentric guy you think he is. Appears to be living in a plane. When Gita and Trudy stop by, we see a car with font on the side. I cannot for the life of me zoom in enough in high res to get to see what it says. But as soon as they pull up to the plane, they start telling him. 
Now, this is also one hell of an introduction, and I love it. Back off, guys. Come on, back off. You probably think you're going to show me a good time. Are you? <laughs> Sorry. Come on in. Come on. I'm not going in there. <laughs> oh, it gets better. Why don't we say four this afternoon? I see. So in by ten, out by four. Let me ask you something. Do I look like a dry cleaner? And totally fair. Like, that's a, quite a quick window if they really want him to decode everything. Again, a cryptographer, Gina brings up Crockett, and then they, okay, he mentions that he and Crockett were in class of 71, naturally in Vietnam. Graduation was a bitch. So, class of 71. That means they, quote-unquote, graduated in 1971 because I thought Crockett... I have all my notes. I'm Maybe I'll just do, like, a little episode on this and, like, actually break it down. Because from what I remember, he was 35 when the show started. Or 34. So this character was born in 1950. So 1971, I guess that would have mean that is saying that he would enlisted right when he was 18. But again, he was injured playing football on a scholarship. So even if he had left school at like 2019, I guess maybe, yeah. So I don't know. I think they're not really keeping track with the timeline here. And I guess I will forgive them. Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. And now I'm sure all of you could recognize the voice. This is Chris Elliott. And again, like super prolific character actor has been everything. Very comedic. I know him best. You might know him best from like or something about Mary. But he's been on basically everything. But you can definitely tell that voice from a mile away. It is sometimes funny. Sometimes I will get him and Daniel Stern confused. There is obviously like an age difference. But not that much, right? Like... Similar voice, I think. Similar cadence in the voice. So again, Gina and Trudy have left the book. They will get mess. Um, they will get wind back of what the code is and hopefully break it down, just to have a little bit more proof of which to get Guzman with. Speaking of planes, a plane has landed at night. Well, it appears to be a private plane. We see some goons. Hired goons along with our Las Vegas mobster. Because, again, he's pissed. Turns out, a lot of the money that Guzman has been making for himself by cooking the book and fixing bets and basically skewing the odds to work in his favor. Guess who lost the most money? And guess who's really peeved at one of his goons? You're worse than a moron. Your brain did. Hey, the guy was clever. I thought he was just promoting fights. And when there are more fights in this town, you're getting less action. You don't think there's nothing wrong? I was going to look into it. Uh, yeah. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Fool me multiple times for multiple amounts of money. <laughs> shame on. Shame on me. So another uh, goon also explains and tells him about Sardoni and that his bets haven't lost for the past four or five months. Turns out he's Guzman's lawyer. So everything kind of comes together. However, Vegas guy really wants to see Burnett and Cooper. Crockett and Tubbs, a.k.a. Burnett and Cooper, are driving down in the Testarossa when they get an unwanted follower. Like an unwanted tale by some goons. They're coming your way. What are they in? A white Ferrari. Thus begins an actually super fun car chase. I made a few gifts of it as well. We got some crisscrosses, some... We got a nice car flipping over. We got Crockett and Tubbs evading this tale and showing our Vegas mafioso who's boss while Billy Idols don't need a gun plays in the background. Then we are back at the precinct. FBI comes. Again, they're the ones who are tapping the phone call in Vegas and knows that, quote unquote, Burnett and Cooper are at risk. However, Crockett still... Similar attitude to before, 
doesn't really give a damn. Now Giolini's in Miami to stuff him in a garbage disposal head first. I love it. Not if Burnett and Cooper are in there with them. One more time. Your alter egos. We ran an undercover ID on them. And listening to Giulini on tape. My guess is he's interested in them too. Good. No, bad. You've already lost one cop too many. Thank you, FBI, for providing some kind of clarity or message to Crockett. Message! Will Crockett take this advice and this warning seriously? Uh, I doubt it. But first off, let's check back in with Guzman's book. Not quite Guzman himself just yet. We go visit with Chris Elliott's character, the ace cryptographer. As he tries to explain everything to Gina and Trudy, he says that he can tell, like, it has to be some kind of one-on-one sport. So either tennis or boxing, he was able to decode it, saying that it's kind of a primitive code. And once he starts on his spiel, Trudy stops him real quick. And then the guy who was doing it got really bored. Wait, 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 wait. We're here to roast the turkey, not learn how to grew up. Oh, please do pardon my digression. How terribly silly of me. Hmm. Look, ladies, what you've got is somebody handling more and more bets every week. Way over a million dollars already. That's a big turkey. Does he specialize in boxing? Yeah. Yeah, it had to be that or tennis, you know, one-on-one kind of stuff. See, what he does is he builds up these fighters, drives the odds up two to one, three to one, five to one against them, and then, bam, they get knocked on their duffs by someone you never heard of over and over again. Simple. Gina asks for examples. So he brings up names that he's seen in the book, Hidalgo, but then he mentions the next one is going to be Walker. Interesting. Now we are back at the Vegas guys. I'm assuming it's a hotel room because it's a or a beautiful condominium because you will see this gorgeous view. However, it's a little bit of a scary scene. So we have... Sardini, Sardani. I can't. I, I I can't keep track of all these guys. But basically, Guzman's lawyer is going in to meet our Vegas guy. The Vegas guy is played to perfection. I kid you not, because the lawyer is sweating. You can tell he's a hot mess. You can tell he's definitely feeling like he's in hot water. And the Vegas guy is like, what, do you think I'm not a good host? I put the AC on and everything for you, blah, 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 blah. Then he takes him outside, but first gets a little digging. Stink, you know that? I think he got major B.O. <laughs> they go out to the balcony, they talk, and basically our Giuliani, Giuliani, Giulini, Giulini, thank you, that's it. I told you I could never remember it. And I can't read my own handwriting, so this is kind of a little bit of an impetus for me to remember who is who with, you know, shady Italian guys in this episode. Basically, he threatens... Guzman's lawyer, big time, but in a very mafioso type of way. He starts naming addresses. One in Newton, Massachusetts, another here in Miami in Coconut Grove. Basically answers that his parents are the ones living in Newton, Massachusetts, and that when the Vegas mafioso mentions his wife and his two boys in Coconut Grove, he knows exactly what he's playing at. So now that he knows that his family is in danger he agrees to rat on Guzman. And I also really like the way that he phrases it. He's like, I want to know not only when he's going to the bathroom, what he's doing in there. So he wants to know when and where Guzman will be the whole time. And he's going to use this insider information. Oh, there's like a really funny, no, let me see if I can find it. Ah, dang, I don't have it. Sorry. I thought I had it. We're just like, no, like you could see how defeated he is. So now we're back at OCB. We're back at the precinct and Castillo goes to talk to Switek and that Castillo wants to put him on the beach. But again, this is like such minimum wage, like how the manager would talk to you. Let me play it. I was going to put you on the beach. I can do my job. You're going to have to. We don't have anyone else. Thanks for the pep talk. I feel better already. (laughs) Oh, 
my God, if all of you are having flashbacks to working in retail hospitality, like <laughs> telling someone that they want to basically give you a vacation, but that you can't. And then when they, when you say like, oh yeah, no, I, I don't want to, it's fine anyway. I was like, well, that wasn't going to happen anyway. <laughs> Sorry, this is not a funny scene because it does get really emotional when Zwitek goes on and on about how Zito would have done anything to clear Zwitek's name if the tables are turned. And it is really heartbreaking because we know that Zwitek is just feeling really defeated and he's grieving at the same time and he has to work. And he has to put all of his energy to take down the guy who killed his partner and his best friend. And fortunately, this guy's really good at evading the law. Oh, man. So back in the Testarossa, Crockett is running out of tubs. What's going on? And again, it's risky. What are you talking about? The Sunbelt Satellite Sports Network. I mean, we're looking for another customer. Maybe our only customer. We're going to tell Jelini he's Mr. Big, and we don't want to do business with anybody else. He doesn't kill us first. Well, let's just hope he likes money more than blood. I don't know. If he's as scary as a mafioso as we have seen, he probably likes blood and money. And basically, they kind of keep running it down, that they basically want to be able to put Guzman and Jolini against each other by taking away Guzman's opportunity to invest in the or to be sponsored by the imaginary Sunbelt satellite network. Basically to have the sharks feed at each other is basically what they're going for. And while they're able to listen to this conversation that Guzman's having back at his palatial estate with always a bikini clad lady walking around in the background, which I love. We also get a great shot of a beautiful woman in a bikini on a sea-doo or a ski-doo. Jet ski, thank you. I think they, we call them sea-doos in Canada, or that's the brand name. And basically, he's selling another voice, voice on the phone that, to get in on the action. So Crockett says, Bates in the trap. Now, Sonny and Rico, as Burnett and Cooper, go visit Sykes at the gym. And Sykes is incredibly pissed off that they used him and betrayed his trust, and he was already weary of trusting cops after what had happened with his brother, so now both of his trainers have been mysteriously disappeared as a result of them coming into his life, so naturally he's incredibly hesitant. And as they do explain their cops, they do come forward, so now Tubbs and Crockett can shed their alter egos and let them know that they really are cops. And they keep trying to explain to him why he shouldn't sign with Guzman, how dangerous he is. And then Sykes drops the mic. Just get the hell out of my life, okay? What, so you can ruin it with Guzman? No, so I can kill the bastard. Yes, King, this is the energy that we want. All right, Sykes is on it. And Sykes has a lot of reasons. And... I support him in this endeavor. Now, back as their alter egos, Brennan and Cooper go to meet with Jolini, Vegas guy. I just keep putting him as Vegas guy. (laughs) He asks about their work with Guzman, and they say that they'd get with him, Vegas guy, over Guzman because of his national contacts, and that he can attract the right type of people, a.k.a. clean money. And they're really trying to butter him up. Then, back at the precinct... Crockett explains that they're both out for blood and they get to see the numbers that Gina and Trudy were able to get from our ace cryptographer. And they see now how they can continue to pit these two against each other. And with this info, they know that they have a little bit more leverage. So Burnett and Cooper go pay Guzman a visit, basically letting him know that them's the breaks and that Jolini is just looking a lot more attractive to do this deal with and that they know that Guzman's already stepped on Jolini's toes and they're just continuing to feel the fire while Guzman has this insane cigar holder. I don't even know what it is. It's like a long brown pipe. I'm assuming it's a cigar holder. It is wild. Love it. Then we cut to Jelini himself in the hotel room. Zwitek goes undercover as a delivery guy to hand deliver the numbers 
to one of his goons. And I do love this interior of the room. We got lots of glass blocks. We got lots of pink lighting. Now that he knows how much Guzman has been taking him for, it's on. And at this time, Sardini, remember, Guzman's lawyer, whose entire family has been threatened, calls Jolini to let him know that Guzman has put a hit on Jolini and that he'll be at his jewelry store at a specific time because in the back room is where they take all the bets. Six o'clock on the nose, why? Do yourself a favor. Don't be buying any engagement rings around then, huh? Now remember, who's our surveillance guy? Who listens to phone calls? None other than Stan Switek. He overhears this hit. Then a little bit shortly after he hears his information, knowing that Jolini is going to go after Guzman at the mall, Gina calls and lets him know about the hit against Jolini. He doesn't take this opportunity to let her know about the counter hit that Jolini is putting on Guzman. Then we see Switek being really pensive and he's at like a local cafe. There's a shot of him with... um, the clear glass with a plastic container, you know, like the cover for fresh pastries. We see him looking really pensive. We're getting a Steve Miller song, Steve Miller band song playing in the background. And we see him getting really wound up. And at this time, he does decide to make a call. And let's see what that is. Now, the song playing in the background is I Want to Make the World Turn Around by Steve Miller Band. And basically, the lyrics that start off the song are, I don't want to live in a world of darkness. I want to live in a world of light. I don't want to live in a world that's heartless. I want to live in a world of sight. So I think that's very interesting. And then, again, the chorus, like... The other verses mention living in a world of justice, living in a world of shame, living in a world of freedom, living in a world of pain. So it is interesting that this is playing once Switek kind of has this revelation that other people could get hurt and that this is something that he wants to disclose. He doesn't want to save Guzman's life. And I can't imagine how incredibly hard that is for him to do. And at the end of the call, he lets Sonny know that the hit's going to go down at the mall at the jewelry store. And it's going to happen in 14 minutes. So they race off in the Testarossa to the mall. Zwitek also follows in his car. And I love the way they pull up right at the mall entrance and park diagonally, like right in front of like the actual outside area. It's like, oh, this is how I park in GTA. <laughs> like you just. <laughs> I was like, that's exactly what I think of. Now, naturally, it is an episode of Miami Vice. There's a shooter that's about to happen. But first, I would like you to appreciate the aesthetics of this mall before we get into the sad part. First, I want you to admire the dark sunglasses and the little hockey mullet that Guzman has. The back kind of boiler room that is not even his bookie because there's like 10 of them working all on legal pads. I'm like, I write out all my notes on legal pads, too. Just The aesthetic of this mall is something I think you guys will all really vibe with. So definitely go check out the gallery. We got lots of pinks. We got lots of gold. We got lots of green. We got some indoor trees. And then we have just Charcoals as a storefront name. I'm assuming it's kind of like in the walkway. I was like, oh, this is Hank Hill's nightmare. (laughs) We got some great windows. And now let's get to the sad stuff. So as Guzman and his goons are walking out of the jewelry store, and I must say, I am dying to find out or find similar chairs to the ones they have in the jewelry store because the armrests are curved metal with little curved metal bars underneath. So it's kind of like cascading, kind of like a rainbow. Beautiful. And they're pink velvet, I believe. Oh, I would love to find it. Again, I'm sure there's probably like some estate sale in Palm Desert that will be selling them for $400 a pop. So it's not quite in the cards for me, but must say I'm really appreciating this vintage mall aesthetic that they're really showcasing. So let's get to the sad part. As Guzman and his goons are walking out of the jewelry store, we see Jolini's goons walking through the mall. They all notice each other. They 
pull out. This huge shootout occurs. There is a great scene of Zwitek just coming in using the flower cart. Like, you know, in the middle of the mall, they have those like, little carts and little kiosks. So he's like hiding and pushing the flower cart to get through. And Crockett, Tubbs get in there screaming, freeze Mammy Vice. Nothing really changes. The shootout happens. These poor people just shopping on their day off. I must be terrified. People are just lying on the floor. And as the shootout occurs, Guzman is able to go up a flight of stairs. And upstairs, there's a woman in a beautiful blue outfit. He takes her hostage. And Zwite gets up there first. And as Zwitek is watching Guzman hold this woman hostage and try to use her as a human shield, he's getting flashbacks and of him finding Zito's dead body and seeing the syringe and seeing his lifeless partner's body. And he shoots Guzman, shoots him a couple times. Guzman falls out of the window onto the floor of the mall. Great death scene, I must say. This is like a 10 out of 10, especially you know how I am of like vintage decor in the mall. So I, I want to give this death scene a 10 out of 10. Kind of on par with uh, Sean Caroon in When Irish Eyes Are Crying. Not as epic because, you know, he's not, his arms aren't facing the wrong way, like he took the wrong path, but epic death shot. Now that is over. Let's literally, let's celebrate on the St. Vitus dance. Bobby Sykes is there, Crockett's there, Tubbs is there, and Zwitek's there. Enjoying champagne as Crockett offers to fill up Bobby's flute, Bobby declines. You know, he's just going to stick with orange juice for now. He's, he's got a fight coming up. You know, he's got to stay in shape. And Zwitek gives a beautiful cheers to Zito as we end this episode. To Lawrence Zito, a cop, a man, and a great friend. To Larry. To Larry. It's even more of a poignant scene because we have his friends coming together to celebrate his life. And also they've received word that his death will not be ruled an overdose and that his image will not be tarnished by what Guzman and his goons tried to do. And so there was a little bit of justice to have his name cleared that Zwitek was really passionate about. So I think that's actually a really beautiful end of the episode. And we haven't had a lot of happy endings this season three, so let's cheers to that. Not exactly a cheers, but, you know, drinks, celebrating. Let's get down to some vice tea. Now, I don't have anything, like, super spicy this week, but I do want to thank Eric for pointing out that Pepe Serna, a.k.a. Guzman, was Tony's friend who gets changed sod in the motel room that is now a CBS. And thank you so much for pointing that out. I am a little bit embarrassed. He does look a little bit different. And to be fair, I think sometimes when we watch Scarface on TV, it's usually like an hour in, which in TV time really means it's only like 30 minutes in. So I was like, I don't know how I missed that. So thank you so much for pointing that out, Eric. That is a little embarrassing on my part. Now, I have some fun little, um, I don't want to say a tidbit, but so Mark Breland, who played Bobby Sykes, real life boxer, and he was actually a real life welterweight champion. He is also in the music video for Dare Me by the Pointer Sisters, which is such a great Pointer Sisters song. And it's not as popular as their other songs like I'm So Excited or Jump or Neutron Dance. This is such a bop. And it's the three sisters dressing up as men going to this boxing gym. And Mark is kind of the one they focus on. And I was like, oh, like when my two worlds collide. I love it. Chris Elliott, I don't have anything bad on him. He's just funny in everything he does. And then Joe D'Alessandro, he was Jolini, Galini, Jolini, I think it's Jolini. And he was also in One Eye Jack. And he is great because in both of these roles, he is just playing scumbag so well and to perfection. And Again, I didn't really see a whole lot on his IMDb, but this man deserves something for his performance this episode because he was so good. Now, music. 
I am definitely going to go with All Along the Watchtower. I know that it really didn't thematically fit into the episode. Blind Faith by Corey Hart. Usually I always pick the Canadian, but this one I'm like, oh, that's not really my favorite Corey Hart song. But I could just tell it was his voice right away. I'm like, I know that voice. Don't Need a Gun by Billy Idol. Again, love Billy Idol. Just not one of my favorite songs. I want to make the world turn around by Steve Miller Band. Again, that was actually great thematically with, you know, Zwitek's inner conflict but at the end of the day how can you not love all along the watchtower and hearkening back to you know the late 60s and i always forget that all along the watchtower is a cover because when you hear the original by bob dylan you're like wow Jimi hendrix just knocked that out of the park now surprise surprise as i've been waxing poetic the whole episode about the color teal is definitely the true one of this episode because my best dress is going to go to Bobby Sykes as he comes to Guzman's house wearing the teal silk shirt and the teal pants with the cream colored blazer just looking like a million dollars again amazing shape so tall pulls us off just wears it like a mannequin Gina in teal as well with a matching purse looking like a million bucks. Now my other best dressed man who's not wearing teal is actually Tubbs. He looks great in this lilac shirt and this pink patterned, pink and black patterned tie with this gray blazer. Love it. Now, I also want to give a shout out to Guzman in the glasses inside of the mall at his jewelry store. And of course, no surprise, I have a tie between best interior decor with Guzman's Jewelry Store, mostly for those chairs, and of course, to Jolini's condo or hotel room. Both incredible works in architecture and design. Now, quote of the episode. Ah, this is a tough one. We got Gator mentions, but similar to last episode, I think you know where I'm going with this. This is my choice for best quote of the episode. Got the gambling, got the hookers. <gasps> What else do you need? <laughs> oh, man. It's it's definitely better than Crockett's last week. Drugs or prostitution or gambling or murder. I love how these things are bad, but I'm like, the way that Jalini delivers it sounds like a great time. Got the gambling, got the hookers. <laughs> oh, well, you know what? Let with, a, with that episode that ends on a happy note, it's always good to end with some laughs. So once again, I want to thank you all for liking, for subscribing, for telling your friends, for leaving five-star reviews. Look forward to seeing you next. And I do plan on having a little Vicey bonus episode where I will get the nitty-ditty details and do a proper timeline of Crockett's service. So what I did is that I have all these old journals and a lot of the times my journals will be like cocktail recipes and then a dream I had and then a a business idea and then podcast notes. So I had to label everything. So I just have to go back. So it won't take me that long. Um, But I just didn't do it today because I was like, oh, I've like moved everything around. But I think I'm just going to kind of delve into that and make it its own Vice D episode. So we'll have more answers since apparently he's class of 71, but we shall see. Do you mean he started his class of 71 or he ended class of 71? So this will all be discovered later, definitely during the summer. Thank you as always for listening and we'll see you next time. Hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.